Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We are continuing our series this morning that we are calling Holy Grit. That type of endurance that comes, uh, that endurance that comes by relying upon Christ, that endurance that comes by seeking the power of God in the midst of difficult circumstances or seasons. And so today I want us to look at this passage in the book of Hebrews. For some of you, it may be a familiar passage, but I want us to look at this passage. I want us to look at what the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us about that earthly endurance with a heavenly hope. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, it's helpful to know, whenever we read the book of Hebrews, that commentators tell us that there are three presumed groups of people that the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to. One of those groups is a group of people who were from the Jewish faith, that's the title Hebrews. They were of the Jewish faith and they were unbelievers and they were unconvinced of the claims of Christ. And there was another group, uh, they were also unbelievers, they were also from the Jewish background, and they were convinced of some of the intellectual claims, but they had not yet made a decision of faith to follow Christ. But there's another group, and this group is whom, and most, most scholars agree, this is the group to whom the majority of the book of Hebrews is written to. And those people are people who are Jewish Christians. They were, they were of the Jewish faith. They have come to true faith in Christ, and now they were facing persecution and ridicule because of their faith in Jesus. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews writes largely to this group to encourage them to stand firm, to keep running, to keep moving, to keep believing, to persevere through this time of difficulty. Now, whenever we look at this passage and we pick up with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so so great a cloud of witnesses, what's he writing about? Well, he's writing about what we refer to as the hall of fame of faith, the roll call of faith, as it's sometimes referred to in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, the writer of the book of Hebrews goes through and just lays out all of these examples of people who lived by faith. They acted by faith. They conquered by faith. They were victorious by faith. 
And then he picks up in chapter 12, verse 1, and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, let me explain one thing. What that's not. He's not saying all of these Old Testament saints, all of these heroes of the faith, are sitting in the grandstands of heaven, and they are looking down upon the way that you are running your race, and we are to run for their applause and their approval. And, and they're cheering us on in that sense. Well, no, we're going to find that we don't run for their approval. What the passage is talking about is they are witnesses. They are evidence. They are clear examples the Bible gives as to how to live by faith. And therefore, book of Hebrews the believers here and that they're being written to and also to us today because we have all of these examples we are to run in such a way because they have given evidence that it is possible to live by faith they have given evidence that it is possible to persevere they have given evidence it is possible to endure by the power of god well how do we do that how do we endure Well, this passage gives us some pretty clear indications of how we are to endure. So I just want to give you some principles, and then I want us to look at the principle, and then I want us to look at that application. The first principle is this. Focus determines direction. Focus determines direction. And since focus determines direction, we are to look to Jesus. What do we mean by focus determines direction? Well, what we're talking about is what you focus upon. What you set your attention upon, that is the thing or the person to which you will turn, to which you will move, to which you will go. Look at what the writer says, as picking up the last part of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We are to look to Jesus. And that word doesn't just mean a a, a glance, a casual glance. That word means that you are looking intently at something to the exclusion of everything else. You're focused on Jesus to the exclusion of all other things. Now, does that mean you're not paying attention to everything else around you? Of course not. But it does mean that you're not running with all of these other things as the focal point. We're running our race of faith with Jesus himself as the focus. I was reading an article a few years back, and it's become one of those articles I keep going back to. It was by a guy named Randy Smith. Randy Smith was a bush pilot, and he also trained people to be bush pilots. So they would fly small planes, small single-engine planes, into some of the most remote places of the world to transport missionaries or to to bring missionaries out or to transport uh, goods and services, anything that was needed, medical supplies, to different people around the world. And so sometimes they would have to land on very small landing strips, landing strips that a few days earlier didn't exist. Landing strips cut into the side of a mountain, landing strips out in the middle of some wasteland somewhere. Landing strips out in the middle of some remote area where there's just a few villagers. And Randy Smith, as he was writing about being a bush pilot, said this. One of the dangers that bush pilots find whenever they start landing on these small runways is many times there will be something on the runway. Maybe a tree will have fallen. Maybe there's a a rock they couldn't move out of the way on that particular runway. He said, but in many cases... 
in certain areas, it would be livestock. You would have cows, sheep, goats on the runway. And he said this, bush pilots begin to learn that as they're landing their plane, if they look at the thing that is causing the problem, if they look at the cow or the tree or the rock, if they focus on that, very shortly they will find that they begin to steer in that direction. And he said, one of the reasons is what you focus upon, that is the direction that you will steer. If you start focusing upon that obstacle that is there, eventually you will steer right into the middle of it. And the same proves true for us. Our focus determines direction. And if we are focused on anyone or anything other than Christ as we're running our race of faith, we will get off course. Why? Because focus determines direction. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We hold fast the confession of our hope, not because we've got it, not because we're under control, not because it seems like a good idea, but because he who promised is faithful. Because our focus is upon Christ. Notice what the writer of Hebrews does not say. He does not say, looking to the audience, run your race with faith. Run with endurance. Looking at the other competitors in the race. Looking to overtake that competitor or looking back being glad that you're not running like that person who's lagging behind. He doesn't even say looking at your race course itself. No, he says looking to Jesus. All those other things may be good things, but you don't look at those. You don't focus on those. You focus on Jesus. Focus determines direction. And when we depend upon anything or anybody else, we will find it will fail us. Why? Because everything and everybody else are temporal. They're passing. You can't place your eternal hope in something that's going to pass away. You place your eternal hope in the one who is eternal. And that's what our focus must be upon. Listen to what Isaiah writes And Isaiah 31, uh, these are the words of God as a warning. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. He's saying, Israel, if you go down to Egypt and you say, we're going to depend upon the chariots because the chariots are many. We're going to depend upon the horses because the horses are very strong. Those things will fail you, says God. Woe to you if you do that and do not look to the Holy One. Focus determines direction. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Well, why can we rely upon Jesus and look to Jesus as the focus as we're running this race race of faith? Very simply put, it's because he started it and it's because he finished it. He began our race and he is the one who will bring it to completion. 
This passage in the ESV says he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who began our race. He is the one who ends our race. He is the one who began his own race and finished his own race victorious. And if that's the case, then I depend upon him. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's the alpha, he's the omega. And if he's the beginning and the end, he has the middle in control as well. And so we depend upon him and him alone. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am assured of this. I know this. I promise this will come to pass. I know this to be a fact that he will be, he who began that work in you will finish that work in us. And so we look to Jesus because our focus determines our direction. Is there anything or anybody that you've been depending upon more than Christ himself? Is there someone or something you've been depending upon to give you that boost, to give you that endurance, to help you persevere other than Christ himself? Can I just tell you, you may say, well, it's been working for me pretty well right now. But can I tell you, eventually, it won't. Eventually, when that thing passes away, eventually, when you no longer have that particular level of finance or you no longer have that particular relationship or you no longer have that particular support when you are lacking that do you realize that your focus when your focus leaves that thing your direction is going to be messed up you you need to place your focus on someone who is eternal that is christ and don't look at all the problems in the way you look at the way the truth the life he's not only the one who made a way he is the way So we focus on him, not the problems that want to keep us from following him fully. Secondly, joy transcends trials. Not only does focus determine direction, joy transcends trials. So we are to rejoice in Christ's work. Look at the second part of verse 2. Looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, wait a minute. For the joy that was set before him. That's what it says. Joy transcends trials. And so we rejoice in Christ's work. Now, what is joy? Well, some people have said that, and I I think this is a a great definition. Um, I'm, I'm it's kind of a paraphrase of, of kind of an amalgamation probably of multiple definitions I've read over the last few months. But one of the ideas about joy is this. It is a good feeling. Now, I know immediately, suddenly, uh, some alarm bells just went off. Wait a minute, feeling? We have to, where do you trust our feeling? No, let me finish the definition. It's a good feeling produced by the Holy Spirit. It's a good feeling produced by the Holy Spirit within us as the beauty of Christ is revealed. I think that's a great definition. Not my definition, but I think it's a great definition. Somebody far smarter than me came up with that. But the idea is that it is an inner heart set, and it's not something we work up. You don't work up joy. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit within us. It is a God-given emotion that we have. Emotions aren't all bad. They have to be governed by the Word of God. 
And so it's a God-given emotion. And that God-given emotion is in response to the beauty of Christ being revealed, both in the world and also through God's Word. And there's a level of trust that goes with that. Joy is transcendent trust as well. We trust in something bigger than our circumstances. Joy transcends our trials. Listen to Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You spend time in the presence of the Lord God. You spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ. You spend time in God's word, basking in the presence of God, and you will experience joy. Now, I know joy is one of those things for many of us. We say, you know, I I just have a hard time with joy. Can I tell you this? Many of us have a better understanding of what it means to endure pain than what it means to experience joy. And so often we default to one or the other. This is something I just have to get through. I'm just going to gut it out and endure this pain. And on the flip side, and I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to experience a lot of joy in the midst of it. Then on the flip side, you have people who say, I'm going to experience the maximum amount of joy, but the only way I can do that is by avoiding the largest amount of pain I possibly can. Can I tell you, neither of those is the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is we can experience joy while we endure great pain and in the midst of great pain we can seek out the experience of a god-given joy you find this in hebrews chapter 12 looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross so we have jesus himself Jesus himself is enduring the most physical and the most spiritual pain that any combined that anyone has ever experienced. But yet at the same time, he did it for the joy that was set before him. Does that mean the cross itself was a joyous thing in the eyes of Jesus? No, but the result of the cross, the result of the pain was joyous. Salvation, redemption, forgiveness for those who would come to him that's a joyous thing so jesus looked past that he despised the shame that word means to think little of he didn't think a whole lot of that shame because he's looking beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him you find this in habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 a few months ago we went through back in the spring of last year we went through the book of habakkuk And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, Habakkuk writes, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what happens, my joy is going to transcend my trial. That's what Habakkuk says. In the midst of the difficulty, 
in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of all sorts of pain and all sorts of suffering and all sorts of discomfort, he says, I am going to rejoice. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. We can do the same thing. We are called to do the same thing. In Galatians chapter 5, we find that that list of the fruit of the Spirit, joy is one of them. It's a God-given, Spirit-empowered thing that works within us. It's, one of, it's part of the evidence of being filled by the Holy Spirit, joy. Now, does that mean that you're just going around all the time and you're just like, I'm just so happy all the time and I mean, I'm just up beside myself and I just, and, and, and I don't even, I don't even think about my problems. I have no, I don't even, I don't even consider my problems. I don't even have any concerns. Well, no, no, there are certain things we have to tend to certain things that may burden our hearts that should burden our hearts, but we are not crushed by those things. So we can have joy in the midst of those circumstances by rejoicing in the work of Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Now, look at this phrase. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because of the finished work of Christ, we can have joy now. So many times I hear people say, well, I'm going to experience joy after I die and after I go to heaven. That's when I will experience joy. Well, that's when you will experience the fullness of joy, absolutely. But according to the Bible, we can experience joy now. Don't ever say, there's no way I can ever experience joy now. The only way I'm going to experience joy is once I get to heaven. That's not a biblical statement. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's something that's happening in the present tense as he is writing to these believers. You can have joy now. You can have that transcendent trust now. How? By remembering the work of Christ that it is finished. He completed that work. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in the prominent position of power and he is seated. The work is done. He has sat down. He is no longer at work in that sense because he has completed that work of redemption. And so we can have hope. And that hope is based upon our joy. And that joy is based upon what Jesus has already done. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So by the God of hope, fill you with all joy. We can experience that life of heavenly glory right now with our feet solidly on the ground. Because our joy transcends our trials. Some of you are in the middle of some rough times, rough season. Maybe this last year has been really rough. Maybe you would say that this last year only seems like the capstone of many seasons of difficulty. And some of you are probably at the point that you're saying, I'm ready to give up on some things. 
I'm ready to give up in this area, ready to give up on, on these people I've been praying for and talking to about Christ. I'm just ready to give up on that. I'm just, I'm ready to, I, I may be ready to just give up on trying to ever seek a deeper walk with Christ. Every time I try to, to move toward Christ and read God's word and I try to get closer to God, all these problems come up and all these difficulties come up and I just keep running out of time or I keep running out of energy and I keep running out of motivation. Some of you are on the verge of saying, you know, I'm ready to give up on this marriage. I'm ready to give up on these people, these relationships with these people that I've been, I've been trying to work with and deal with. I'm just ready to give up on all of it. Can I just tell you, keep running. Seek joy. Seek joy in the midst of that. Ask God to fill you with his joy because he's the God of hope and ask him to fill you with joy in the midst of that trial and let your trial be transcended by that joy. Because you have Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. Because he looked past it and he saw you and he saw me and he saw salvation offered. He saw redemption accomplished. And so he was able to move forward and endure that great pain because of the joy that was set before him. Our focus determines direction. Joy transcends trials. And then finally, pressure requires perspective. These early believers were under a great deal of pressure. Some of them were thinking, I'm just going to walk away from the faith. You won't walk away from the church. I'm going to walk away and I'm just going to go back to living like a good Jewish person. And if I do, then people will leave me alone. I won't have to endure the ridicule. I won't have to endure the persecution. I won't have to endure the, the little comments behind my back. I won't have to endure the whispers. I won't have to endure... Uh, not being able to hold a job or find a job because of all the negativity toward Christianity in that time. I, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I just want it to be easier. I'm just going to go back to that. Can I tell you what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that pressure requires perspective. You're under pressure. You need a healthy dose of perspective in the midst of that pressure. And how do we, how do we have that perspective? We remember Christ's sacrifice. Look at verse 3 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look at Jesus as an example so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. And then here's a perspective moment. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Writer of Hebrews gives a little mic drop there on them. Listen, yeah, it's been hard, but has, has any of you been killed yet? Have any of you shedded blood yet? No. So, okay. So you're still getting off light, the writer of Hebrews is saying. You're starting to turn back, and Jesus himself didn't turn back whenever he was sacrificing his own body, and yet you haven't even reached the point that you're starting to bleed for your faith. So why are you turning back? Pressure requires perspective. And we remember the sacrifice of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's a perspective moment. Knowing 
that the work that you're doing for the Lord is not in vain. It may look like it's in vain. It may look like an uphill struggle. It may look like you're trying to drain the ocean with a teacup. But no, it has meaning. It has purpose. It has eternal meaning. It has eternal purpose. And it's all based upon the completed work of Christ and his sacrifice. And because he sacrificed so much, how can I not sacrifice all that I am to him? How can I hold anything back from the God of the universe who did not spare his own son? Pressure requires perspective. And that perspective comes as we consider the sacrifice of Jesus. So therefore, whenever we face a difficult time right here, when we face a struggle right here that's temporal in nature, we recognize, yes, this may be hard. Yes, this may be exhausting. But with the appropriate eternal perspective, then I have to realize that I'm living for more. I must realize that, that I, am, I am living for, I am running this race for more than what this earthly life offers, even if it's hard, even if I just have to move along very, very slowly. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're growing older. We're growing older and our outer self is wasting away. And so, so many times as as years go on, you realize I'm not able to do everything I used to be able to do. I don't heal as quickly as I could heal. I can't eat everything I wanted or always ate in the past. You start realizing your outer self is, is wasting away. And even in the midst of suffering or pain or difficulty, it weighs on you. And that outer self, you just feel that outer self, that, that this, this body that we're in, you just feel tired, you feel wearied, and you're wasting away. But in the midst of that, your inner self is being renewed day by day. God is doing a work, strengthening us internally day by day, moment by moment. Even when the going gets tough, even when it's hard, we keep running our race. Whenever we did our, our 90 days of prayer with, um, when we were in the midst of, of the pandemic and we sent out a, a prayer emphasis every day, there was, a, um, there was an article that I came across. And some of you might remember this, those of you who were reading, keeping up with the prayer times. Uh, many years ago, I say many years ago, a number of years ago, there was a, uh, a marathon. They have since shut it down. But there was an ultra marathon in Australia. It ran from Sydney to Melbourne. It was 544 miles, a 544-mile ultramarathon. Traditionally, it took people about seven days to complete it. Competitors would run for 18 hours a day, then they would sleep for six hours, and they would get up and they would do it again for seven days to complete this 544-mile race. And there was this one day, as the race was getting started, as they were about to begin, this 61-year-old man came walking up. He was wearing a pair of overalls, and he had on a pair of rubber boots. His name was Cliff Young. And Cliff Young shows up and says, I want to sign up and run this race. And everybody laughed, and the media kind of had a laugh at his expense, and these other runners who were 
wearing the latest high-tech running gear and had corporate sponsors plastered all over their, their running gear. They're all looking at this guy. And so they started questioning him. Have you ever run an ultramarathon? He said, no, I'm just a potato farmer. And they said, what makes you think you can run this race? He said, well, growing up, we had sheep and the sheep would run just kind of free range and I would have to go round them up sometimes. So sometimes I would have to run out there for days and try to gather them up before the storms came. And so I think I can run this race. I just want to see if I can finish it. And so everybody kind of, you know, bemusedly allowed this guy to enter. And at the start, all of these experienced elite runners took off. And Cliff Young just sort of shuffled, shuffled from the starting gate and shuffled along, and nobody paid much more attention to him for a while. You see, everybody would sleep for 18 hours, and then, or sleep for six hours and run for 18 hours. Well, Cliff didn't know that. When he was asked, what's your strategy, he just said, I'm just going to run until I'm done. And that's what he did. He didn't stop to sleep. He just shuffled on through the night, shuffled on every day, day after day, just shuffling along. And little by little, as the runners slept, he would overtake large groups of them until by the final day, there was nobody anywhere near Cliff Young. And he shuffled across the finish line, setting a new course record. And he came in at five days, 15 hours and change. The closest competitor, number two in the pack, came in 10 hours later. Cliff Young also didn't know that there was a $10,000 grand prize. He said, I was just running to see if I could complete it. And so he took the 10,000 and split it five ways among the next five people who came in after him. That was Cliff Young. He just shuffled his way to victory. He wasn't the fastest, but he was the most enduring. And he endured when everybody else was sleeping. When everybody else stopped, he just kept on shuffling through the dark and just kept moving. In fact, he was so influential that it, he actually changed the way that ultramarathoners run. Now, many ultramarathoners, many of the ones who are now the ones who have won numerous races, they use what is referred to as the young shuffle after Cliff Young. They just shuffle without sleeping, just shuffle their feet along, and they found out it's the most efficient way to conserve energy and yet at the same time keep moving. And that's exactly what Cliff Young did. Can I just tell you, you say, what is the point of that? Because I'm not running an ultramarathon anytime soon. Oh, yes, you are. If you are in the faith, if you are a follower of Christ, you are in an ultramarathon. And sometimes we may take those long, victorious strides with our arms held high, with that second wind fresh in our lungs. And sometimes, sometimes you just have to keep shuffling through the night. And sometimes you just have to keep moving when you would really rather lay down and sleep. And sometimes you say, but I'm not really equipped to run this ultramarathon. I just feel like I've got overalls and rubber boots on. Can I just tell you, you just keep running. You keep shuffling. You keep moving. You keep enduring. Why? Because Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. And if the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice and endured the ultimate shame... If he can finish his race and he is inside you and me, 
then the race that he has called us to run, he is going to empower us to finish. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. In Christ, Christ shows he is triumphant. And if we are in Christ, we are too. Keep running. Don't give up. If you need that perspective in the midst of your pressure, ask God to give that to you. If you need joy that transcends your trial, go to God's word. Stay close to him. Trust in him. And allow him to work that joy in your life so you can live with that joy even in the midst of that pain. And understand that what you focus on, that's the direction you're going to go. Your focus determines direction. Look to Jesus alone. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And God, as we come before you now, I know there are people here, some, some, some of which they have never made a decision to follow you. Some watching or listening, they've never made that decision. They've never taken that step of faith. Like one of those groups of people that the book of Hebrews is pinned to, they're, they're, not, they're not in the race yet. Father, I pray that today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus. They would say yes. Because you ran your spiritual race, Jesus, because you gave your life, because you made a way through the death, your death, burial, and resurrection, your cruel death on a cross on behalf of my sin. My, you took my place because of your sacrifice. I know that I can be saved and that I trust you, Jesus. Please forgive me and I trust you. I trust your completed work. Father, for anyone who needs to come to Christ, I pray that they would have the boldness to surrender even now. And Father, there are people here who are weary. They've been running their race and they don't even feel like they're shuffling anymore. They just feel like they want to sit down on the side of the course and just stop running. Some have had some falls and some scrapes and some bumps on the way. Some just find the racetrack to be really rough. Some recognize that it's such a long run and they're just growing tired and disheartened. Father, I pray from your word today that you will speak to them and that you would let them know they are to keep running that race not by their own power not looking to anyone else not trusting in anyone else except for christ himself the one the only one who ran his race perfectly and now empowers us to run the race for him father i pray whatever decision that anyone needs to make not just now but day by day 
As this season goes on, as we take these next steps of faith, I pray that whatever decision needs to be made day by day to continue running the race with boldness, Father, I pray that you might grant us to do so. Give us that wisdom from your word. Give us that understanding. Give us that encouragement by your spirit. And Father, may we run our race in a way that is pleasing to you, recognizing that you, you are the one for whom we run. No one else. We look to you and you alone. So Father, in this time of decision, we come before you. And Father, we lay our lives before you. And may you empower us to continue to endure with a holy grit. One that points everyone that recognizes that there's something going on within us as we're clinging, as we're enduring, as we're being steadfast, that they would recognize that we have a heavenly hope. And that heavenly hope allows us to endure here now on earth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.